the poor and powerless and all the lost and lonely and all the thieves will come confess and know that you are holy know that you are holy
Good morning. I had the privilege of participating in the prayer vigil at Houghton Wesleyan Church for the first time last fall, and I was asked to share a little bit about that this morning. We had just moved to Houghton two and a half months prior to that time last year, and I was very much in a season of transition. I'm thankful to say that now I'm in a season of a little bit more settling. The theme of last year's vigil was essentially that God pursues us with his unfailing love. That truth and God's word are relevant for all of us in any season of our lives. I certainly needed to hear and know that again in my life at that time. Last year, I was slowly reading my way through the Psalms, and I still am slowly, slowly reading my way through the Psalms, but I started my prayer hour that time by reading the Psalm that um, I was on for that day, which was Psalm 84. And the Lord really spoke to me through that, and I wanted to read part of that for you starting at verse 3 of Psalm 84. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. And as I read that, I knew that the Lord knew that that's what my heart needed. A reminder that we are on a pilgrimage, that we're on a journey. And of following God and learning to trust him. And we go from one strength to another. Sometimes we don't feel very strong. And sometimes part of that is saying to God, I don't know how to do this. I don't know that I trust you right now, but I want to help me learn how to trust you. The pictures and the quotes and the objects in the prayer room that were also thoughtfully and prayerfully placed there, they reinforced to me this deep and comforting truth that God sees and knows me even when I feel lost. 
The prayers written on the whiteboard there by others who had participated reminded me that I am part, that we are part of the body of Christ in this church and in the church all around the world. We are powerfully connected to each other and our loving God by prayer. More and more on my journey of faith, I have found prayer to be about turning my face to God, knowing that he sees me, and as Corey Ten Boom said, letting the light of his promises shine on my problems. I encourage you to join in the prayer vigil, which will start again in a few weeks. There is a lot of thought and prayer that has already gone into this. You can be confident that God will encourage you no matter what season of life you are in. You will receive grace. And I want to end with Hebrews, uh, a verse from Hebrews chapter 4. It's verse 16. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Thank you. I'd like to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings.
Please be seated. Father, we thank you today that we know we are your children. You created us. You love us. And you desire relationship with us. As we come today, Father, we come to give you praise and adoration, which we have done through our singing and even now in our prayers. We also come to lay before you the burdens and concerns that are on our hearts and our minds today. We all wrestle with grief and loss. It comes to us in a variety of ways. And we pray for your comforting, healing presence in each circumstance. We come today recognizing that there are people in our lives who are struggling with illness and disease, which with pain and the various ways in which it comes to us, these physical bodies. And we ask for your healing power to be at work. Some of us come today wrestling with financial issues, wondering how we are going to pay this bill or that bill, what the future holds. We ask, Father, that you will give us confidence and that you will provide Help us to trust you to provide for all of our needs. Some of us come today with um, relationships that are not where we would like for them to be. We have sinned against others. Others have sinned against us. We wrestle with bitterness and anger and cold-heartedness. Forgive us. Forgive others and unite us, restore us in your spirit. And for some, Father, it's the future that concerns us. We are anxious about the next steps of our lives. We are anxious about the next five steps of our lives. We wonder what's going to, what the future holds. And so many of our decisions today we know have bearing on those days and so much of those days have bearing on our decisions today. Give us the grace to trust you, to believe that you lead us and guide us in the way that's best. Help us to hear you, to see you, and to trust you even when we don't hear you and don't see you. Father, we pray not only for ourselves, but but also for others. We think of churches around us today. We pray for the Rawson Baptist Church in Cuba and Pastor Holmes. Pour out your spirit upon this gathering of believers as they worship you today and as they serve you throughout the week. May others see you in them. We pray, Father, for uh, the needs of our nation in this time of divisiveness and struggle. We pray that you will unite us not around an idea or an ideology, or political party, but around you. And help us as your people, and your people all throughout this country, to be a beacon of light in the midst of all that we are struggling with. We pray, Father, for this greater, larger world that you love, and you've created, and you're involved in. We think of refugees, and looking for a place to, to 
to settle and to find safety. We pray that they would, you would provide that for them. We pray for people all over the world who are struggling with disasters and, and tragedies. And we think about the people in the Carolinas who are still and recovering and will for a while from this recent hurricane, even as we remember the people in Puerto Rico and other places as they recover and other places of the world where there are disasters and tragedies. Bring your spirit to bear in healing and help your church. May your church be a source of hope. Father, we think about places where war is just everyday life, and we ask that you would bring peace. Think of your people around the world. Thank you for the calling you've placed on Jackie Algier. We pray that she will know your strength and presence with her as she teaches and ministers in North Africa in a difficult place, but a place where she has already seen fruit. May it continue. We pray for our brothers and sisters around the world, many who face great difficulties and struggles. And we're particularly thinking about this teen, Leah Sherabu, who has um, uh, who's been held, who's held hostage who has been threatened, her life has been threatened by Boko Haram. Lord, set her free. Give her strength. Help her to see you, to know you in clear and powerful ways. And may your grace be at work in this situation. Fill her heart with love for you, for those who support her, for those who are oppressing her, and for all who care about her. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. We offer these prayers and all of our prayers in the strong name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Remembering the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Today's scripture reading uh, is from Matthew 6, 5 through 13. Uh, I invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their full reward. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. 
This is the word of the Lord. Before you're seated, uh, share a word of greeting with others here in worship this morning. So I wanted to uh, just mention to you uh, about, uh, first of all, I, want to, uh, I am feeling better. A number of people asked me after I went home last week. Uh, I've, there have been times where I've been sick and I haven't come to church. I think last week was the first time I came to church, got sick, and went home. Uh, so I've never done that before, but I want to thank all the staff and uh, for filling in. They, just, they, they did a great job, and, and I was able to watch online, and the sharing was just phenomenal. I, I think God was in all of that. Um, I also want to mention that uh, the, we're having a potluck uh, later, a little bit later this morning, and uh, we'd love to have you come. We're, actually, the intent of it is to connect college students with uh, those who are here in the community and beyond year-round. So if you haven't planned to stay, we invite you to do so. Paul, is there going to be any kind of uh, activities if they go out there after this? We'll put you to work. So you can decide if you want to work or not. You know, put you to work, does that mean hands in the food so you can start eating? I don't know what that means exactly. Lots of food, yeah. So, um, love to have you be a part of that. And we've got tables set up in the community room right behind us. If you want to, if you want to run back to your, your dorm or apartment before you, and then come back down, feel free. But if you want to just hang around, uh, get a chance to get to know some other folks, we'd love to have you do that as well. Um, and also, there's a sheets in the uh, pad of sheets in the pew rack in front of you. And if you uh, if you're a guest today, we especially uh, want to welcome you and ask you to take a moment, fill that out, and you can just leave it there in the pew. Uh, after you're done, we'll collect them up after the service. It's also a way to communicate with uh, the pastors. If there is uh, something you would like for us to pray about, if there's something you want more information about, a ministry or anything, that's a great way to do that. And again, just leave those sheets there and we'll, we'll get them. Or you can hand it to me after the service, but we'll click pick those up and then uh, connect with you. Father, we want to thank you for uh, your goodness to us and your grace to us. Open our eyes and our ears, our minds to hear you, to see you experience you through your word. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. There's a Catholic priest that was once asked, what's the most common problem you encounter when you listen to confessions? And the priest, this priest who had been uh, listening to confessions for more than 20 years, didn't hesitate at all. He said, the most common problem that I hear in a confessional is the problem of God. He said, it keeps coming back again and again and again. It's all about God. He said, it's not just that people say, well, you know, it's, it's about God. But it's about how they connect to God and how they see God and how they think God sees them. When I read that, I was reminded of the famous quote by E.W. Tozer, who said, what I think about God is the most important thing about me. 
I've been meditating and pondering that for a couple of years. What I think about God is the most important thing about me. And then just recently I read something from C.S. Lewis who said, it's not so much how I think about God, but really how God thinks about me. And the more I've thought about both those quotes, I think they're saying the same thing. Because what I think about God is really What does God think about me? What are God's feelings toward me? What are God's God's thoughts toward me? What are are God's actions toward me? What does God think about me? And the more I ponder that, the more convinced I am that our life of prayer and everything about prayer is wrapped up in answering that question. What does God think about me? Me. Who am I to God? What's my identity in God? And I think there is something of that that Jesus is addressing in this passage we read from Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6 is a part of the larger Sermon on the Mount. It begins in chapter 5 when you have the Beatitudes and, and then Jesus talks about all these different dynamics of life and how we are to view them differently than we typically do. And then he comes to chapter 6, and he talks about some spiritual disciplines. The chapter begins, he's talking about giving. And at the end of this section, he talks about fasting, and in the middle, prayer. And in the passage we read, where he talks about prayer, Jesus assumes people will pray. He begins it by saying, and when you pray. He assumes, because I think there is a certain underlying assumption, everyone prays in one way or another. We may not pray to the God that we understand from Scripture, but everyone offers prayers. We may not say them with our mouths, but we think them in our minds. It's just human nature to some way, somehow pray. And so Jesus says, when you pray, there is a right way and a wrong way to think about prayer. And his whole point is to correct our misunderstandings about prayer. I suspect that you have somewhere in your house or in your dorm room or your apartment or someplace, you have some mementos of your life. I brought a few with me this morning. Um, This is a a little plaque, and it has a person singing on it, some instruments behind it, and it says, uh, Showtime, I won't tell you the year. Uh, I was just three in 1976, uh, but... No, I was louder than that. Uh, Best solo, Wes Oden. And our concert choir, which had about 50 people in it, was probably what made our high school most well-known. And we traveled all around the southern part of Indiana. We had a big concert every year at the Civic Auditorium. 1,500 people would show up. And uh, it was a big deal. And so then in the spring, we had these, this contest where all the people in the choir could sing or do something they wanted to do. They called it Showtime. So I sang, and I won Best Solo. If you're, in case you're interested, I sang Barry Manilow's song, Mandy. <laughs> you know? I remember all my life, Rainy Dallas, cold as ice. I got the words. I got the whole thing in my head. I, you know, I don't know if I can still hit the high note, but I can do this. You know, it was 1970s. What can I say? You know, Barry Manilow was popular. I still like Barry Manilow, but now, now you've thought less. Now I know you're going to think less of me for that. But, <laughs> but that's one of the mementos of my life. Another one I just got recently, a little plaque. 
uh, Wellsville Balloon Rally Doubles Tournament Men's Champion. Andrew and I played in that a couple of months ago, and we won, and that was pretty exciting in the Subway gift card that we have. Uh, and, then, and then I have this golf ball and uh, this scorecard. And this golf ball is for July 6, 2014, Sunday afternoon. John and Andrew, my two sons and I, were up at Woodland Hills Golf Course just outside of Monday. And on the second hole, I don't know, about 120 yards, I stepped up to the tee with an 8-iron. And I hit one of the few straight shots I've ever hit in my life. And it landed on the front of the green and it rolled right into the cup. Hole in one. Now, John and Andrew both are much better golfers than me. They've never hit a hole-in-one. My brother-in-law is a really good golfer. He's never hit a hole-in-one. I can just tell you, it is nothing but pure luck that I did that. (laughs) Nothing but pure luck. But, you know, these are little mementos that I keep around to remind me of accomplishments. I suspect you also have someplace some tools, right? I mean, you know, you got a little drill, maybe, or hammers and things. And some of you have workshops with lots of tools and lots of things you build, you repair, you, you fix things, you, you make things, and you, you do all this stuff. But sometimes our tools are things like garden shears, where you cut your rose bushes or your, your vegetable garden, play things that use this to just things that you created outside and things that you make. And for some of you, uh, maybe your greatest tool is a keyboard. Because you write and you create things on a computer and you do things with your hands this way. But all of these things and all the other things that we do, they're tools that are important to us. And, and I have this feeling that sometimes we think of prayer sort of like mementos and tools. Things that we accomplish make us more impressive to God. Our usefulness makes us feel more important to God. And when we feel more important to God, he is much more apt to hear our prayers and much more apt to answer our prayers. We don't necessarily always do it overtly, but we do it subtly. Even in the middle of our accomplishments, there's something in the back of our minds that's thinking, okay, I've done this for you, Lord. Now that's going to get me something, right? I go to church more than anybody else. I read my Bible more than anyone else. I do this more than anyone else. I I have all these accomplishments. And Lord, look at how useful I am for you and your kingdom. How much I I witness about you. How much I share about you. How much my life is a witness for you. And we have this sense that our accomplishments and and our usefulness are what God is looking for. And that God and our prayers become more valuable to God because of our accomplishments and our usefulness. And Jesus says, you misunderstand. At the beginning of chapter 6, he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. Don't worry about your accomplishments. And he says, when you pray, don't babble on as people of other religions do. Because they think their prayers are answered merely by repeating the words again and again. And the fact that Jesus has to say that means he's not just talking about people in other religions. Because they're doing it too. Look how useful I am to you, God. Look at how awesome my prayers are. Look at how, how, how committed I am to this task. And we get wrapped up in our accomplishments and and in our usefulness. 
And Jesus says, that's not what prayer is about. Because accomplishments and usefulness mean that prayer is first and foremost about us. And Jesus says, no, it's about God. And maybe the best alternative to prayer as mementos or tools is maybe prayer as our cherished photographs. Something I keep on my desk. Pictures of people that are important to me. You have them as well. Maybe they're on your wall. Maybe they're on your desk. Maybe you keep them in your wallet. But we all have these pictures of people that we cherish. And what do those pictures represent? First and foremost, they represent our relationships. They represent people who are important to us. People that we cherish and we love and people who cherish and love us. That's why the pictures are important. That's why when you buy a new frame, you don't keep the picture that came with it. You put a new one in there of somebody you know and somebody that's important to you. Why? Because you want a picture in there that means something to you, right? And those pictures, I think, are a much better metaphor, much better picture of God and prayer. Because prayer, ultimately, is not about our accomplishments. It's not about our usefulness. It's about our relationship with God and the desire that God has of relationship with us, of intimacy. That we are cherished by him. I don't know if this is true or not, but if it it is, I wonder sometimes if in God's heavenly office, he's got pictures of all of us. All the people he cherishes, all the people he's created, because that's who God is. And I think that's what Jesus means here in chapter 6, verse 8, when he says... That don't be like these folks, for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. You see, what triggers the prayer is not our accomplishments or our usefulness or our great words. God already knows. It's a relationship. Craig Barnes, who is now the president of Princeton Seminary, says that when he was a student at Princeton had a professor who would often say to the class, you ought to wake up every morning and give thanks to God that you are unnecessary. They look at each other, what? We should wake up every morning and give thanks to God that we are unnecessary? I mean, I know that we can all be replaced and eventually all of us are going to be replaced, but there's something in us that feels like we ought to be necessary, right? That we have, we have some necessity to people because that's where our value and worth comes from. And the professors would say to the class, no, 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 you don't understand. You're too important to be necessary. You deserve to be loved. And the truth is, when it comes to being loved, it's a totally different thing than what's necessary. Because things that are necessary to us eventually become unnecessary to us. And when they become unnecessary to us... They're no longer part of our lives. And quite frankly, our accomplishments, as awesome as they are, eventually become unnecessary. When I went, when I was looking for that plaque, you know, I had to go down to the basement and dig through boxes to find it. Because it's 
something. It was, it was a great accomplishment. I was proud of it. It was exciting and it was fun. But it's over. And God says we're more important than things that are necessary. Tools are necessary, but eventually they become unnecessary. And in fact, sometimes we're glad when they become unnecessary because it gives us a reason to convince whoever we need to convince that we need a new one. And it needs to be bigger and faster and better, right? And until this one breaks, we can't get a new one. So we're actually happy when it's no longer necessary. And God says, you're too important to be necessary. You're loved. And prayer as relationship, prayer as loving relationship, is not just something that God instituted at some point in time. It has always been the case. You look at Genesis. Genesis 3 tells us that God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. It's, it's a phrase that we see often in Scripture. God walked with Noah. God walked with Abraham. God walked with Moses. God walked with Joshua. God walked with David. Over and over again, it talks about that, the idea of walking together with God and coming together with him. But what struck me recently is that prayer as relationship, this whole idea of walking with God, is not something that God instituted because people sinned. It was always the case. And in fact, when they sinned, they ran away from God. They ran away from the time of walking together. God wanted intimacy. God created us for intimacy with him from the very beginning. And prayer, that intimacy with God, a relationship with God, is built into creation from the very beginning. And I think that's what Jesus is saying when he says, this then is how you should pray. And he gives them the Lord's Prayer, which we prayed a few moments ago. And how does that begin? Our Father, relationship. He could have said, O great creator, sovereign Lord, king of the universe. And all of those are true. All of those are wonderful attributes of God. They're important attributes of God. But Jesus says, when you pray, you're praying to your father. It's about relationship. And the other part of that prayer that I think is significant are the petitions. Because it's our Father, we can come to Him in this prayer as this model prayer, this sort of skeletal prayer, has six petitions in it. But I think, I think they all focus around the second, which is your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Everything seems to keep coming back to your kingdom come. Hallowed be your name. Why? Because in your kingdom, you are holy and perfect and right and good. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because in God's kingdom, his will is done. And when God's will is done, all is good and beautiful and right. And give us this day our daily bread. In the kingdom of God, God, we know God takes care of his children. He provides for our needs today and forever. And what's the attitude of the kingdom? When you pray for the kingdom to come, what kind of attitude are we praying for? Forgiveness. Relationships have to involve forgiveness. 
And ultimately, in God's kingdom, when we pray for his kingdom to come, we're praying, God, we believe that you will help us in our time of temptation and trial that can be so devastating to us. This prayer of your kingdom come is really a prayer of God inviting us to to enter into partnership with him. It's not just that we have a close relationship with God. We actually have a partnership with God. And that's why Jesus says, pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Because in that very prayer, we are saying, God, we want to enter into the partnership that you've invited us to be a part of. That's what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, when he begins with just this little phrase, as God's partners. It's the most phenomenal thing in the world to think about. You could meditate on that for the rest of your life and never get to the end of it. As God's partners. We are partners with God. And prayer is a huge part of that. I think that's what God is saying to the Israelites in Exodus 19. When he says, you're my cherished possession. And you will be a kingdom of priests. To serve with me. This partnership, this connection of being with God. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about when he says, when you're most concerned about accomplishments and usefulness, you get a reward, but it's pretty short-lived. It ends up in a box. It ends up on a shelf somewhere. But when you're praying is about partnership and relationship with God. The rewards become eternal. Because praying for the kingdom of God to come and entering into partnership with God that he's invited us to means that we are now involved in the eternal purposes of God that go way beyond what any of us could ever accomplish on our own. Any usefulness any of us could ever be on our own. And God invites us into that. Where does this idea of partnership come from? Where is this idea that Paul comes up with that says as God's partners? Where's the basis of that? I think, I think it's rooted in the essence of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Spirit. We often think of the Trinity as sort of of three old men sitting around a boardroom table, very static, you know, just sort of you do your thing, I'll do my thing. We kind of just, we sort of, just sort of, you know, have our own purposes and, and and it's very rigid. But I think the Trinity is not static. I think it's dynamic. I think it's relational. Maybe that's what God means, Genesis means when it says we're created in the image of God, that we are created as relational beings, just as the Godhead, the Trinity, is relational. What is it that, that connects the Trinity? Is it their tasks? Is, it, is one of them more important than the other one? Or is it this, this dynamic relationship? And I think it's a relationship. It's the heart of who God is, love. Maybe the best image of that 
This may sound a little strange, but I think when God is inviting us into partnership with him, maybe what he's doing is inviting us to join in the dance of the Trinity. Now, I, I, as a little child, I loved to dance. I love to dance around the room. And I've mentioned in an article I wrote for the newsletter a couple months ago that I would put on this Mahalia Jackson record, this great gospel singer, and I would dance all through the house, listen to God put a rainbow in the sky. And, uh, but when, you get, when I got older, um, dancing wasn't quite as looked at positively uh, as it was when I was a little child. It was taboo in our house. And I know why I understand now as an adult that, you know, there are some dancing that can lead to inappropriate behavior and, you know, and things going on. But in and of itself, dancing is not bad. Scripture talks about dance as a means of praising God and worshiping God. And I think there is a form of dancing that is especially pertinent to this. Ballroom dancing. I mean, particularly I'm thinking of waltzing. You know, there's something about watching people waltz that is so beautiful and graceful. There is an intimacy to dancing, no doubt about that. There is a relational nature to dancing that you may not find in other kinds of activities. It is, there is this sense in which you almost, be, people who know what they're doing and are good at it and have been doing it together for a while, they almost become one with each other. Maybe that's what Jesus means when he says in John 17, Father, make them one as we are one. And when you watch that kind of dancing, when you watch people who know what they're doing dancing, there is a leader and a follower, but if they're good and they've been doing this a while, you can hardly tell because they just move as one and they know what each other is thinking. And they, and they just glide across the floor. And there is a graceful beauty to that. That is so enjoyable to do and to watch. And I think in the Trinity, there is this dance that goes on. As they move, as they carry out their tasks, as they relate to each other, and ultimately as the Trinity relates to us. And maybe what... Jesus is saying in this teaching about prayer, and what Paul is saying when he talks about us being partners with God, is he's inviting us into the dance. And he's saying, come on, take my hand, put your arm around my waist, and let's dance. And we're going to do beautiful things together, and we're going to grow together, and there's intimacy in that, and there is grace and beauty and love in that. And it is something that you can't do on your own. But with me, I will lead you to amazing places. And how is that dance developed? How is that relationship developed? It is through prayer. And this is the call of God to us. That in prayer, he invites us to partnership. This relational partnership with him. It's not so much about checklists. It's not so much about trying to convince God to do what we want. It's not so much about trying to get our way. It's about entering in to this relational dance, this partnership, and finding God to be more than we can imagine. Philip Yancey, in his book on prayer, tells the story of his pastor one day going out in his yard and putting some stone steps into the back of their yard. 
These stones he was working with weighed 100 to 200 pounds. They were huge, and he would put them into place with his own strength and with tools that he had. And it was a huge task. And about halfway through, his little daughter, four or five years old, came out and said, Daddy, I want to help. He thought, what can you do? He said to her, why don't you sing for me while I help, while I work, and that will encourage me. And she said, no, Daddy, I want to help. If you've ever been around children, you know how that goes, right? They want to help. And so he found some things that times when it wouldn't be dangerous to her. And she put her hands on the stone as he moved it. And he said, you know, later on I got to thinking it took me a whole lot longer to accomplish that task because she was helping me. And he said it was in many ways a lot more stressful because I was so worried about her not getting hurt. But he said all of it, he said all of it just made sense to me. My whole perspective changed when I heard her run into the house and say, Mama, Mama, me and Daddy put in the steps. And he said, I got a little glimpse in that moment of prayer and a relationship with God. That he loves to partner with us. And he calls us into relationship, invites us into the dance of life with him. And all the prayers that we pray, all the ways that we think about prayer are rooted in that truth. This is how God thinks about you and about me. And my prayer is that as we begin to understand that and experience that, Prayer will take on a completely different dimension for each of us. We're going to take just a moment of silence to ponder, to meditate, contemplate, to hear God calling us to partnership. You think about the place where you sense God near, hear His invitation. Join the dance. Father, such a great privilege to call you that. Open our eyes. Open our minds, our hearts, our ears. To see, to know, to experience, to hear 
your invitation to this relational partnership. And as you draw us in, make us new people in how we live, how we pray. Through the grace of Christ. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing.
Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.